Hey, what's up everyone? This is Dr. Hanur Singh. I am a physical therapist, yoga instructor, and movement practitioner. And you are listening to Movement with Noor. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Movement with Noor, where we get the chance to invite on practitioners and scholars to the platform. And today we have Dr. Luke Atkins, a physical therapist with three years of experience in orthopedics, who is going to dive with me into the topic of pain science. We both have an interest in pain science, and it's a growing field where we get to really dive into what are the mechanisms behind pain. Just because we're hurting in the shoulder, is it really coming from the shoulder? And I think that pain is something that just is involved with everybody into an instinctual level. So with it, everyone has an experience with pain. Everyone has a relationship with pain. And I hope that this podcast can bring just another sand grain um, of perspective to what, what is an entire beach of knowledge on pain science. This is a topic that uh, takes a lot of time to dive into. It takes a lot of different perspectives and ways to really understand it. And this is just one of them. So I'm excited to bring on Luke. Cool. Hey, man. Hey, thanks for coming on, Luke. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to kick this off with you, man. Yeah. So Luke and I have been getting to work together at Jair Physical Therapy um, for the past couple of months now, about six months. And Luke has been here much longer than me. Uh, Luke, why don't you go ahead and just give a little introduction to yourself? Yeah, so as you said, you know, we both work at Dreyer Physical Therapy uh, right now in Shrewsbury, um, Pennsylvania. Uh, we uh, have been working for six months, but I've been working at this clinic for about a year and then two more years working in a clinic in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, where I kind of uh, kind of cut my teeth, got my experience uh, coming right out of the gate. Um, as Nor said, you know, working in orthopedic for most of my career, I have a little bit of background in like working with neuro and uh, maybe inpatient, outpatient, uh, acute care, that sort of physical therapy as well. But really getting into this whole topic of pain recently, uh, a couple of months past here and just really focusing in on researching this topic and again, not an expert, but somebody who's taken a really deep interest in uh, how it affects people differently, why it's not a single issue thing anymore we were kind of looking at it as like being more multifactorial or having a lot of different kind of uh triggers so yeah going from there yeah i like what you were saying before we even started the podcast um luke was just talking about how the this type of work when it comes to pain science isn't necessarily developed just for people who are experiencing chronic pain it's something that can help everybody like it just everybody has a relationship with pain and Luke who's been treating orthopedic patients has been getting the chance to use this type of work with them and me as well like getting to work with patients in general one of the first conversations I have with them is has anybody explained to you how pain works and if so can I be the first because there's just so much to uncover uh, Luke why don't you just start off with like explaining what a traditional model of pain looks like um, what most people probably uh, think of when they think of the word pain and how there's been just so much research to start expanding that definition. Right. So if you open up a dictionary and, and flip to like pain in the dictionary, it will tell you that it's it first and foremost is physical suffering or discomfort that's caused by like an illness or an injury. Right. So one thing that we're kind of looking at, and especially in this case, you know, they talk about pain being physical suffering. Right. So. A lot of the new models that we're looking at are kind of 
showing significant links between not just uh, the pain that you feel physically, but also an emotional pain, uh, you know, maybe a mental pain, maybe uh, pain that kind of diverges from that where like you don't actually have a physical injury at all, but you're still experiencing a great deal of pain, right? So there's a lot of different things and to kind of what you said, different angles that we're looking at for pain now that really kind of diverge from this old theory of like, oh, I'm in pain, so therefore something must be wrong with me. There must be a physical injury or a physical reason why I'm experiencing this pain, uh, which nowadays we're, we're looking at it with kind of a more uh, narrowed in lens that says that that is not the case. Um, to kind of touch on what Nora had said, you know, that, that difference between acute pain and chronic pain, you know, after a certain amount of time, if you have had chronic pain for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, months, years even, um, we're finding more and more that that does not really say anything about the state of the tissues in the body. It's more of a reaction that it's kind of coming from the relationship between our body and our brain. And we can talk a little bit more about that in, in, a, in a second here, but yeah. And so I, just to like, um, kind of summarize what you were saying that the traditional model of pain used to be thought of as just a sensory perception. Like you step on a nail and you get a signal that your tissue is damaged. And a lot of people think that pain and tissue damage are the same thing. Um, but as Luke was saying, there's actually multiple components that contribute to pain and it's not just the tissue damage. So the, old model of pain that was developed in the early 1900s hasn't really been revised until recently where somebody started realizing that not everybody is experiencing pain the same way and therefore there must be multiple components that are uh, being involved in this pain matrix. So what we've been learning now is that the pain is a sensory, cognitive, and emotional experience. And so um, what was what's a case study that comes to mind for me is um, this one that I often tell my uh, patients where an individual, it's a construction worker, falls off the roof of a building. And when they fall off the roof of a building, they get this nail driven right through their boot. And so they look at the nail and right away, uh, you ask the patient, are you in pain? They say, absolutely, 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah. Um, so they're experiencing this 10 out of 10 pain. And have you heard this case study, Luke? Yeah. Oh yeah, so it's a pretty famous one that uh, is often explained to patients. They get put into an ambulance and um, the ambulance uh, drivers, they're like telling the patient, like we have to take off the boot, we have to make sure that the pain, I mean the, the damage is okay, we gotta bandage it up. And the person, the construction worker is like, no way, I'm in 10 out of 10 pain, you cannot take this boot off. So eventually they get to the hospital, they put the, a local anesthesia on. Uh, so at this point, this guy's whole leg is numb. And they're like, we need to take off the boot. And the person's like, absolutely not. And so um, eventually, they have to knock him out. They take off the boot. And the nail uh, is stuck in between his no uh, toes and didn't even place more than a scratch on him. So right there, we start realizing that maybe there isn't a direct link between tissue damage and um, the sensation of pain. Uh, where somebody who's experiencing what seems to be a high pain state, and if you if you took an fMRI of this person's brain, it would be lit up in 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 that pain matrix. It, it's not that this person is delusional; they're actually experiencing a nervous system response of high intensity pain. But the tissue damage is minimal, 
at that point just to scratch. So what we've been learning more and more in physical therapy is that these patients that come in that are necessarily experiencing um, some level of discomfort or pain, we, we not only can just constantly look at the anatomical approach, but we need a more broad brush that has a holistic aspect on their uh, sensory, uh, cogni cognitive, and emotional experience. And uh, one, one major factor, one population that's getting really hacked into is the chronic pain population. You want to talk a little bit about chronic pain and um, what, what that experience has been for you to work with somebody who has this experience of chronic pain, um, but they may not, uh, but they may be holding on to a tissue damage idea. Like they might say, I have low back pain for 12 years, 10 years. And, uh, and as you'll, you'll hear it, I'm sure, Luke, where people say, I have a bad back. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your experiences with it? Uh, so that is really, uh, I mean, obviously chronic pain, I think is, and you and I could agree on, is probably one of the most complex things that we have to deal with on a daily basis, right? A lot of times, uh, chronic pain usually defined as like being any pain that lasts, I would say like anywhere from like past six to eight weeks with uh, no real rhyme or reason, right? So being able to just figure out what's going on there is is tricky enough. But a lot of times uh, you have patients, like you said, you know, they say they have a bad back or, you know, we, for whatever reason, they, they were they were feeling fine one day and then they just woke up the next and they were in pain. They, they didn't know what caused it. There's no like real reason or mechanism to point to that, that this is why I'm in pain, right? So right off the bat, there's a high level of both fear and anxiety and a lot of these people who have this pain that seemingly came out of nowhere and no matter what they do doesn't seem to go away so you have kind of that right right off the bat is a is kind of your your patient and the person treating that patient are both a little bit at a disadvantage in being able to monitor prescribe the right either medication or exercise to resolve that pain and then you're also just dealing with the mental block that a lot of patients will have regarding that bad back of theirs they they kind of there's a they've created a story around it a story um a relationship there's a link right between the the back if my back moves i'm going to be in pain right mm -hmm. that there's that correlation or that that kind of that causal relationship that they've kind of created in their own mind. Yeah. Um, something that I wanted to kind of point out before I go any further is just like you talking about how people's perception that they're in pain versus like actual tissue damage. I think it's really important for people to understand that like when we talk about this, when we're saying that there's a central nervous system response that's creating pain, it's not that we're saying that the pain's just in their head right? All pain that somebody experiences in is real pain. That, yeah, that is very absolutely. important to, to kind of clarify. But just because these people who have chronic pain don't really have any mechanism of injury doesn't mean that there isn't something else going on there, right? Yeah. So that chronic pain and a lot of what I've been seeing when I see a patient who has chronic pain, and that's their primary concern, is I'm looking at, okay, well, is there a chance that maybe due to not moving enough because they're in fear of that back and they're in fear of that hip, that knee, or is there something going on with the nervous system? For some reason, maybe the nerves that link our back to our brain have flared up for a certain reason. Maybe there is a 
chemical transmitter, like a neurotransmitter uh, that is causing, like we're not getting enough pain inhibition or pain dampening, mm -hmm. uh, or there's just a hyperactivity going on in the nerves that send those those alert or those signals into the brain that, that then result in pain, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out those mechanisms, whichever one it seems to be the cause, right? And then finding ways to get patients to move, and this is what's been successful for me, is just trying to find ways that patients can move that doesn't trigger that sharp pain or that, that I, I like to say, recreating their pain, right? Does this movement recreate your pain? If it does, and it shoots your pain up, I usually use that zero to 10 scale. I say, does it shoot it up past two points, right? If it does, then we know we need to avoid that movement for the time being. Mm -hmm. We develop the movement that, I, that we know to be beneficial in a smaller range of motion that's more comfortable for the patient. And then that begins to retrain that communication from the back to the brain saying, oh, okay, I, I can move my back this way. And it feels okay. I, I can feel like something's happening, but I'm not in pain. And that kind of trains the nerves, it kind of trains the brain to either have more of that pain dampening, right? Or it calms the nerves down enough that they're not hyperactive. Those ones that send those pain signals or those alert signals to your brain. So that we start out real simple with stuff like that. Even if it means moving an inch to the left or the right or like mm. rotating your back, just the bare minimum get that change in sensation that's not painful and then that can help to block pain signals help to calm down the nervous system and essentially allow your body to realize okay oh there's nothing wrong with my back i'm just in pain for some reason and that that kind of is the is the education I like to try to instill right off the bat. Yeah. So what, what, what you're talking about is the, how movement is medicine. And so it, it's a it's a general concept, but it really holds so much truth in exactly what you're saying about these patients that have experienced a story like, my bad is back. I mean, my back is bad. <laughs> my bad is back. My back is bad. And when they build that story, they just start to really funnel into that story which starts restricting their movement experience they want to stop moving their back because it's bad and as a physical therapist as a physician as a healthcare provider we've been learning so much about the words we choose are so important in addressing that situation so whenever an individual comes up to me and they say my I have a bad back that's the first story I try to dispel right away. I say, no, you have a back that's currently experiencing discomfort. It's not bad. It's not going to be bad forever. You don't have to label this situation as a, a chronicity event right from the start. It's just in this moment, in, you're experiencing some discomfort. And um, that's one thing that like uh, I think is still slowly getting um, pushed into the healthcare system because we see uh, people who go to their physician and their physician will say... Um, the, these complex terms and there's studies that are done on this that if your physician gives you a complex term to the 
uh, level of sensation of discomfort that you're experiencing in your body, you're actually going to experience more discomfort. So let's say, hypothetically, I have some shoulder discomfort, or what we're saying, the back. I have back discomfort. I go to the uh, physician. They take an x-ray. They take an MRI. They get some imaging. And then they start using big words. They start saying L4, L5 disc herniation, uh, spondylolisthesis, um, spinalosis, I mean spondylosis, and like just things that like freak you out. And so these terms, and a lot of them can almost be uh, throwaway terms because the general population uh, after the age of 40 has spine arthritis. Almost everybody does. Mm -hmm. But the fact that your physician now tells you who has a white coat on, who has a stethoscope hanging like, hey, you have arthritis of the spine. And then there's this dramatic music that plays in your mind. And so uh, I, I say it jokingly, but like this is like a big part of the science behind of what pain, like of what we were trying uh, as physical therapists to start honing in on is not using big terms that uh, create some of these cascades that Luke is talking about, because how do we even start creating general basic movement when we feel like we have uh, L4, L5 disc herniation? How am I going to move my back? How am I ever going to carry a crate again mm -hmm. so like luke was saying the, the one of the some of the first steps we do is surrendering that story by letting our the person experience pain-free movements and experiencing it gently of course at the very beginning just to let them know like your back is fine you're and that like <laughs> for anyone who's listening chances are your back will be better if it's not good at this moment and if you're under 30 don't you dare say I have a bad back. Uh, I don't know your situation. Maybe, maybe, maybe there are some conditions that need further investigation. But the point is that, like, um, like I think we're we're really quick to demonize our uh, experience, and then we ha get a lot of um, uh, professionals that almost add into that story. So let this like be the beginning to understanding that like those pain cycles are further exasperated by stories that we tell ourselves and um, it's part of that cognitive sensory and emotional experience and so we were talking about how it can be uh, tissue damage and we were also talking about some of the cognitive and emotional factors that play into it um, Luke why don't you go ahead and is there anything you wanted to add in before I well yeah like you had said I mean the amount of times that I've had patients come in and they'll say my doctor said that this is the worst back the worst knee, the worst oh hip God. that I've ever Amazing. seen in my career. And you got these like doctors who <laughs> they've been practicing for 20 years telling you that you have the worst joints that they've ever seen in their entire career. It's, it's, it, I, I can say personally that I, when I first started out, I, I feel like I did the exact same thing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like I would, I would kind of listen to the patient and then I would, in an effort to kind of empathize or show that I was listening, I would say like, well, like, yeah, that sounds awful. Or like, yeah, that sounds terrible. Like that was how I started out my career. Mm. And now more, even just from changing the way that I talk to my patients a little bit, like my patient comes in, they say that, you know, even like in individuals who have like knee replacements, uh, they'll say, you know, I was walking over the weekend and I kind of tweaked my knee. I kind of like, I it, it just felt a twinge and it was like a real sharp pain, but then it went away. Um, and, and the rest of the day I was fine. I'll usually follow that up by saying, you know, well, did you feel like the pain lasted for a long time? Did it, uh, was it like it ruined your whole day? And, and they're like, and nine times out of 10, they say no. Mm. And then I'm able to say, well, you know, probably what, yeah, what happened was maybe just some scar tissue broke down, you know, 
you were just walking around a lot. Maybe you just had a random nerve flare up and that's all that that was. I, and, and I usually tell my patients, because nine times out of 10, what they tell me does not sound like something I should be concerned about or they should be concerned about. It's a very natural part of healing to have kind of these random moments of pain because you're, you're, as we start early and it's feeling very gentle, but then we start to progress you into more complex, more challenging movement patterns. That is part of the healing process is to have a little bit more of those, almost like a growing pain, right? You know, it's not that that random twinge, that random shock of pain that you felt is necessarily a bad thing. It's just your body trying to come to grips with the recovery of it all and it will be okay. So like just by changing the way that I phrased that and like obviously if, if it's something that I'm very concerned about, like they have a, a random symptom that is in my with my education, like I would say, oh, no, that is not good. Like mm -hmm. I tell the patient that. But if it's just a random pain or something that, you know, maybe a slight hiccup in their progress, because mm -hmm. you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit – we've hiccups had patients – Hiccups in progress all the time. Hiccups in progress all the time, sometimes plateaus. Like it happens. That's just the way that things progress when you're trying to do anything, when you're trying to learn a skill, when you're trying to um, – you know, maybe play a sport that you've never played before and just do something outside of your your realm of expertise, right? It's going to be tough. So I try to just guide the patient by saying, hey, you know, that seems like it was just a one-off. You know, obviously, if you have that happening over and over again, like consistently, maybe it's time to take a little break. Maybe your body's kind of giving you that cue to rest, but don't give up the whole concept of staying moving right yeah. you, you want to keep moving you want to be active because if you're not then that's where problems start to happen down the line and that's where chronicity starts to like really sink its teeth in so yeah um i didn't uh what was your question before i went on that tangent no Sorry. no it, it, there's no question slash no tangent this is perfect yeah. um well i guess what i i just wanted to jump into was kind of uh, a story that I had developed in my own body because uh, oftentimes we think about these experiences like we're talking about people who've had chronic pain for eight, 10 years, but th these patterns can come quickly. And uh, it's something that can um, be, be such a great tool to just understand uh, in, any, in any individual. And I just know like of a small personal story of mine was when I had first uh, I was dancing at some point and I remember I heard my shoulder pop and there was a uh, some level of pain that was interrupting my day-to-day uh, -day experience and that lasted like three, four weeks. Um, but back then I wasn't in physical therapy school, uh, so what did I do? I, I, I did what I thought was best, I stopped moving it. Um, so I stopped moving my shoulder for three to four weeks, I quit dancing, I quit everything and I actually started a story very quickly about what happened to my shoulder. I had no back, I had no... Um, education on it so I said I tore something that's what was going on in my head and that's what I started telling people um, I, I it was like almost an introduction I would say hi my name is Nora and I have a torn right shoulder like like it was that attached to my identity and yeah. uh, what happened was anytime somebody touched my shoulder they even touched it I had a strong experience of pain like I would be like that's my bad shoulder don't touch my shoulder yeah that's my bad shoulder defense mode almost yeah so yeah. I, I was really trying to stop this experience from um, I mean stop people from accidentally touching me so I uh, had that discomfort 
and um, I end up it's during my Penn State days I go to a party and I like have the chance to let my mind drift somewhere else and while it's like drifting with friends and conversations um, my friends ask me to dance I don't think much about it I just start dancing again and uh, I'm using my shoulder in wild ways like without even thinking about it and I like have a moment of calm and I go oh my god I like moved my shoulder aggressively and I like moved and I go there's no pain yeah and I thought how long have I been just creating a sensation an experience of discomfort because I labeled that experience and that was only a three to four week experience let alone somebody who spends years developing a story of their sensation their experience um, and like 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 uh, Luke had said before it's not it, it, it is really important to say that these experiences do show up in the nervous system it's not that these experiences are uh, not true um, it's that they, 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 they are really being experienced it's um, the understanding that just because I'm experiencing this discomfort this pain it's not necessarily equated to tissue damage um, so some of the things uh, just to like hit it with a broad stroke that can like really be factors that um, uh, can elevate your experience of discomfort or decrease your di uh, experience of discomfort uh, are some of the cognitive factors and that can include your beliefs or expectations and that's what me and Luke have been talking about for the past 20 minutes has been some of these um, beliefs we've had maybe these beliefs are things that we grew up with like uh, beliefs of how our parents raised us where they say like hey if you have pain you should take an Advil um, or it could be a belief that was instilled to us after we got our MRI our doctor says hey that's not cool like um, you have a rotator cuff tear in there um, fear is a huge factor for um, is one of the cognitive factors that has shown to increase somebody's pain response uh, there was a study done where uh, just uh, individuals who are ballet dancers uh, ballerinas they were experiencing low back pain and what they did was they put these ballerinas uh, in an MRI machine and whenever they did uh, extension lumbar extension they would experience um, low back pain and the MRI would light up the, um, where the pain me um, mechanism was it would just light up and so all they did was they took out the patient and they explained to them did you know you're not hurting your back when you do that movement and the patient went back in to the MRI machine they redid the movement and all of a sudden much I mean significantly less response just because the fear was taken out of the equation um, catastrophizing like thinking once again like we talked about that this is a big deal and then of course we also have the emotional factors people who are, who are currently um, having difficulties psychological difficulties with depression with anxiety with stress the, these factors are shown to be hand in hand with how likely this person's going to uh, experience chronic pain. And they can go um, uh, vice versa, where a person who experiences chronic pain can start developing some level of depression, anxiety, or stress. Or people who experience depression, anxiety, or stress, and they hurt their wrist, well, they might experience a longer tissue, I mean, a longer uh, pain sensation, even if the tissue damage heals, the, the sensation will be there longer. Um, so uh, I, I want to jump into what are some ways finally we can start combating this. Um, combat's not even a good word, like we're talking about <laughs> language properly. What are some ways we can start assisting in the healing process? Um, but before I do, Luke, is there anything else you want to say? 
before we talk about like what are some strategies we can look at for people who are experiencing this um, pain and discomfort and how they can like start uh, finding relief from it. Yeah, I I think a lot of what you were talking about, especially that study with ballerinas, that's been like very very widely spread throughout the medical community. Like a lot of people I know, including myself, have seen that study and uh, kind of like point to it as more evidence for this. One of the things that I actually have brought up and now, I, you know, I think that this is a perfect example. Uh, you know, I've worked with several of in, several individuals uh, who have had amputations, mm-hmm. right? Below the knee, above the knee. I've worked with somebody who has had an ent- their entire leg amputated uh, all the way up to the hip. And one thing that I've always pointed out to people is that, you know, you have these people who literally don't have a foot anymore. I'll use, I'm using the foot as an example. Um, literally don't have a foot anymore. But more and more, you hear from people who have had amputations that they can still feel their foot, even though it literally isn't there anymore. And then you, so that's what we call phantom sensation, right? Not there, but you still feel it. And then you have a step further where those same people have what's called phantom pain, which I think is probably a little bit more well known about, you know, most people, I think, at least in the medical field, have heard of the term phantom pain. And I would say a good amount of the pop, the public probably has too. But essentially, that is the situation where, again, no foot, no lower leg, pain. Pain right. signals coming as if you had a foot, as if you had that calf down there right below the knee, um, or if, like in the case of like an above knee amputation, pain coming from where your knee used to be. Right. Mm. I point to that a lot to say, like, like to kind of drive home that uh, that uh, educational bit that we've been talking about right now. Just because you're having pain doesn't mean that there's actually something wrong with any of these associated tissues. Right. So that that's that hyperactivity of those nerves going, sending those alert or, hey, there's something wrong signals to your brain which then triggers that matrix that we talked about and that causes pain. Um, to go off of that pain matrix that you know you had mentioned as well, there's actually no area in the brain that is devoted to pain, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have pain, when you experience pain, it doesn't go to the pain center in the brain because there is none. Those signals get sent to your brain And they start to hijack different areas of your brain. They start to hijack the somatosensory cortex, which is basically how we feel our fingers and like how we feel our wrists and elbows and legs, all that stuff. There's pain that gets, those those signals get sent to the amygdala, which is what causes us to experience emotions and fear being one of the big ones, right? So like... That's another area where you're talking about how fear can increase pain. Catastrophization can increase pain. It's because when you're having pain, it doesn't go to the pain center. It goes to those areas that process fear in the first place, and it turns everything up to 11, right? So that's why in moments of even like severe emotional trauma, you know, loss of a loved one, heartbreak, those things can also cause fear, a feeling of tightness in your chest. Like that sort of stuff happens, but nothing's actually been physically done to you. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So that's why 
you know, different, even highly stressful situations can cause that change in sensation, can cause that pain and that suffering without physical damage. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I know we talked a lot about uh, people who are experiencing this um, sensation of pain and discomfort. Um, I, I want to dedicate the next couple minutes to now talking about how can we start actually finding ourselves uh, out of that cycle? Because we talked about, okay, you're experiencing this pain. You might have a story behind it initially of like, I have a bad back. Now you're experiencing pain. It's going to funnel the story of you have a bad back. That's going to increase your stress. Um, now all of a sudden your cortisol is spiking up. Cortisol is going to drive the pain response higher. It's going to tell you the story that your back is getting worse. That gets you more worried. So these cycles continue and the tissue damage itself might have healed long ago, um, but the, the cycle of discomfort is continuing. So uh, what, what me and Luke want to talk about is... Um, what are some strategies that we've used with patients, with ourselves, with everyday people to start actually interrupting this cycle? Um, so uh, I think we, we already talked about it uh, at some points throughout this podcast. Um, some of the ones that we had mentioned is gentle movement. And that, that uh, I love Adrian Lowe. For those who don't know Adrian Lowe and you're interested in this topic, he is leading so much of the forefront of this research um, I'll even put like him in the description so you can just go ahead and look him up. Um, but well, one thing that he says is movement is the greatest pain killer. Mm -hmm. So um, I love that phrase because um, well, oftentimes you're experiencing these stories and so on and so forth. And then you go to a physician, they give you an MRI, a scary look, and then they say you want an injection to like try and combat this, what n might not even be tissue damage, but a sensation, sensory, I mean, a cognitive and emotional experience. And uh, the loop just gets crazier and crazier. And all of a sudden, people are getting in surgery rooms that, oh, my God, you know, it just it gets crazy. So the, the point is that, like, we want to look at um, what are some strategies that we can take on right away. Um, and so the first one I brought up was movement being medicine. Um, do you want to start off with some of the things that you do with your patients? And then I'll follow up with things that I do. Right. So another one by Adrian Lowe, a great, great uh, little mnemonic to go by is hurt does not equal harm. Right. So. In what I had said earlier in the podcast was like, you know, I tell patients, hey, you know, let's do this little movement here. See how it feels. As long as your pain isn't shooting past like two points higher. So this is say they come in and they're five out of ten pain. As long as what we're doing here doesn't get that to go to past seven out of ten pain, I like to think we're in the comfort zone, right? Or the just kind of nudging at the border of the comfort zone, right? I try to encourage my patients to move in a way where they feel like something's happening, where they feel like, okay, I'm getting a little bit of a stretch here. Might be even a little bit uncomfortable. Might be sore. You know, that's fine. That I tell my patients that it's totally appropriate to feel sore, which it is. And I also try to drive home the fact that, like, by kind of telling the patient that if it gets past this point, if your pain gets past this point we can stop. It kind of also gives the patient that little bit of control in the situation. What, mm -hmm. what are these patients coming to us with a lot? They woke up randomly with this pain. It's been lasting for at least four months. No control. Lack of control. Whatsoever. Wow. So I try to teach my patients, like, 
if you feel like your pain is getting past two points higher than what it was when you came in. I love that. Just tell me. Just tell me that that's happening. We'll stop that movement. I might even just stop the session at that point. If it flares them up that bad, we'll just stop the session at that point and have them, I'll, I'll have them do something that kind of gets that pain to drop down and then we'll be done for the day. Just to kind of tell them like, you know, you can kind of control how much you move and you can kind of get a sense of control back from the pain, right? So big thing for me is like find the patient's threshold, find where they can tolerate. Once we've met that, once we see where they can tolerate, each time I see them, just let's do a little bit more. Let's push the envelope. Let's like kind of just push against that that comfort zone that we've developed, right? Let's just kind of nudge against it, see what happens. Most times, nine times out of 10, unless it's somebody who's got really, really complex and maybe even those deep-seated fear avoidance, that deep-seated story that like, if I move at all, I'm messing up my back worse, right? Unless it's that sort of situation, my patients, nine times out of 10, will be able to move just a little bit past what they did last time. And then once that happens, I'm like, that's great. Let's try this exercise. Let's try this exercise. See how it feels. They're able to accomplish that. I mean, that even right there, like, is just, it rewrites the story in their mind a little bit. And it's amazing that what that can, what kind of an effect that can have on a person. Like, they haven't been moving for months. And now you've gotten them to do more in a day than what they've been allowing themselves to do for weeks at a time. Right? It's it's a really freeing feeling, I think, for the patient. Empowering. Empowering. That's yeah. a great word for it. Yeah. Um, and just that that sense of, like, I can take my life back. You know, I can take back what I used to have without the pain, without the discomfort. Like, that's a big deal. Like, yeah. that is a huge thing moving forward in a patient's life. Like, being able to feel like they're in control of, of one of the most basic things that a person should be able to do, which is just move, you know? So... Um, I kind of use that and take that to heart and, and yeah. try to instill that education in my patients. And, um, and like we talked about before, you know, once we have established that like, Hey, we can move this much, let's try and do a little bit more each day. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that, um, is, is off that model of like graded desensitizing, slowly desensitizing the nervous system by slowly re-adding movement and rewriting the story. Um, that really helps with a sensory component uh, of pain, like where the body is experiencing pain-free movement. And so because of that, um, the pain it becomes decreased. Uh, there, when, when I do the same thing. It's what, it's what we're trained as physical therapists to do is slowly uh, reintroduce movement to the person's lifestyle. Uh, things that can also really just benefit an individual that I work on is the education component, which is, you know, what this whole podcast has been about. But just this, the very first understanding, like when a patient comes in, low back pain, and they're like, oh, I have a bad back. I, the first thing I say is like, hey, has anyone experienced, I mean, has anyone explained this experience of discomfort to you? Like what happens physiologically? And we just talk about it, like what it means and how tissue damage normally heals within the first couple uh, weeks to months at most and that they're probably at this moment aren't experiencing a high level of tissue damage uh, how much that in itself already starts to decrease their pain experience another thing is like 
looking at the patient, are they in a heightened state of stress? So like, yeah. if, um, and this is something that Ashley talks about a lot. Ashley is one of our coworkers. She's going to be on the podcast as well. She's a pelvic floor therapist who uh, has such great, great experience in pain science. Um, but she, she talks about it as well is that this, uh, if, if somebody is experiencing like a sympathetic nervous system, um, like a fight or flight reflex, they're like in a panic state, like a, like, uh, of some sort, whether a deadline is due soon, a heartbreak, uh, just has happened. Um, like these emotional factors play into our physical therapy world too. So if somebody's coming in and I see that their eyes are darting, like simple questions that Ashley has uh, talked to me about to ask my patients are, is like letting them feel this moment. So let's tune into our breath. Let's just take a couple moments and count our first 10 breaths. Name five things that you can see right now. And all of a sudden that's just lowering their sympathetic nervous system response. It's lowering their fight or flight reflex. And breath, I mean, in itself, like uh, it's something that I've gotten to experience a lot whenever I teach yoga, whenever I work with patients, like if I can just get them to breathe through their manual work or their um, stretching experience, it's just a whole different experience because of how much that decreases that cortisol response and how much that can then um, decrease their sensation of pain. So if somebody, and this is just another example, if you're experiencing the seven, eight out of 10 pain, and then I ask you to count 10 breaths, and then all of a sudden uh, you're experiencing a two or three out of 10 pain, did those 10 breaths change your MRI? Did they automatically heal your rotator cuff? Did they heal your low back? No, but it did change your experience of discomfort because you were um, in this heightened state. And so those are some of the things that we're working with is distress. Um, another big factor is the language. We, we've been talking about this all podcast, um, saying, not letting ourselves say things like, I have a bad back. So I, I do my very best to right away work on the terminology. Uh, I actually, I mean, we said it so much in this podcast, um, the, the word pain, but that's actually a word I don't let my patients use. Uh, I give them synonyms. I give them more accurate terms. Are you experiencing soreness are you experiencing fatigue are you experiencing cramping are you experiencing um like a burning sensation uh so like mm-hmm. these these new terms like uh, uh and i i really do feel that like there there's a there, there's a gap sometimes in just the amount of terms a person knows to experience their body and because of that they just use the word pain hey i had a workout today or, i worked out yesterday so now my I have pain in my legs. I'm like, that's not pain. We can't use that word willy-nilly. That's soreness. Um, So addressing the vocabulary um, can right away also start helping reframe the story. And like making up silly rules, that's what I do. I say, when you're in here, we're not allowed to self-deprecate ourselves. We're not allowed to say things like, like I have a bad back. Like like anytime you say that, you owe me $5. Like just making up silly things. And um, I don't make them pay. I'd be rich. Um, but, but yeah, so th- those are some of the factors that uh, I jump into. Um, and of course, like Luke said, we're physical therapists at the first and forefront. Um, it's worth saying, um, we're, we're slowly running out of time, about, about two minutes. Um, but it's worth saying, if, if there is a, a deep traumatic experience that's being involved in this pain, because we do see that where somebody has some trauma that's been built and uh, that's been experienced and because of that their pain 
it, it can't be resolved within a six-week PT session. Um, it needs a multidisciplinary approach. And like that's something Luke and I are working more on is trying to get um, a multidisciplinary approach where we have cognitive behavioral therapists that we can link up with so that the therapist, uh, the, the CBT, and the physical therapist, the PT, can work together with this patient to unwind their emotional and physical trauma. Um, so, I mean, this was a lot to digest for sure. Um, thank you, Luke, for coming on. I, I, We will have many more discussions on this topic. It's just like way too much to fit in one podcast. But um, yeah. Luke, is there anything else that you want to add? I think that you kind of touched on everything that I've been trying to do and actually gave me some ideas for like what I can do because I don't necessarily use some of those like rules in the clinic, but I think that that actually might be really helpful for my patients, uh, especially um, a lot of times people will look at physical therapy as, as being very uh, uncomfortable, but if you can kind of re even just that rephrasing can make it a much more uh, therapeutic uh, experience. So gave me some ideas for what I'm going to do going forward. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. biggest thing I can say is just, even if it hurts, even if you're in pain, find that area that you can move without it being painful. Cause the moment that you stop moving, that's, that's when the problems really start. Yeah. And I want to just say the same also, Luke, like I appreciated what you were talking about with giving the patient the choice and really empowering them because uh, that that speaks volumes outside of pain we're, like and that could be worth another seven hour discussion it's just like <laughs> like we're not trying to steal the patient's body we're trying to let them experience their own body again and empowering is just such a fantastic way to do that so uh with that being said thank you guys for tuning into another episode of movement with noor i'm so happy you came on luke yeah. thank you so much thanks for having and, me uh well we'll have to do it again uh much love dude awesome that's awesome man Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go.